Hello everybody, you're listening to Yuri Wuzi's Front Page Podcast. In this episode, we sit down with newly elected Mohawk Council of Kahnawake Grand Chief Kasanahawe Sky Deer, and we discuss her historic election win, as well as talk about the newly elected council. I'm Greg Horn, and I'm joined today by newly elected Grand Chief Kasanahawe Sky Deer. Welcome. Greg, and what So, historic moment in this community's history, Saturday night, Early Saturday, Sunday morning, uh, Electoral Officer Angus Elmentor announced uh, the results of the 2021 MCK elections. How did you feel? Well, I don't know if you see it when I first got there. Really, nobody knew that we were going to be able to go into the building, right? It was quite a shock. Like, okay, he comes outside. Everybody come on in. Yeah, everybody's like, what? <laughs> right? So as we start ushering in and then like I was with my grandmother, uh, Anna, and uh, she didn't have a mask. So my Ragini was like, go get her a mask. So I ran down the stairs onto the floor, like where the uh, counting ballot station was and grabbed the box, ran upstairs. And now I'm distributing masks to everybody who didn't have any. Then all of a sudden I hear Angus saying, and now uh, for the announcements for grad chief. And I start, I threw the box and I literally start running to where my grandmother was standing. And when he said my name, Greg, like just tears, like I don't know if it was relief, if it was joy, if it was just overwhelmed with pride and humbled and honored, like, and to have my grandmother there with me witnessing that moment, because I mean, she's, you know, 85 years old. And when I was like, you know, Dura, you're going to come, right? And she was like, yeah, it reminds me of the days when, you know, me and my sisters who would go hang out by the Garinoha school to hear the announcements. I'm like, well, imagine your your granddaughter could be grand chief tonight. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to come. So for her to be there with me in that moment was just really also overwhelming. Yeah. So I, after it was said and done and hearing also that a few people didn't get back in or well, Rhonda specifically, you know, I worked with her for the last 12 years now and knowing, you know, how much she had put into files and work and of course, uh, we had a retirement of Clinton and well, obviously two more at the table because of them seeking grand chief positions. It is quite a turnover of, you know, new people, I guess, at the table, five to be exact and the four from last term. So really you have three veterans left at the table with myself, Lindsay and Mike, so to speak, uh, in yeah, terms and, of. And, and Lindsay's, I mean, is a veteran, but. He was off council for so right. many years, right? So his his almost like it, it is returning brand new. also yeah. too, yeah. So, and then Monday, you know, we uh, had a, a tobacco burning at the main building, and we invited the staff to come out because I felt it was important too for them to hear the words and the messaging and to be a part of that ceremony and putting tobacco forth to start fresh. And you know, we've all been through a lot within the organization with COVID loss of a grand chief, uh, you know, just the feeling of being disconnected from each other too, working remotely. And so it was nice for them to all participate in that. And, and then we had our first official council meeting and, you know, first orders of business right away. And so, yeah, I'm just really excited about, you know, the potential we already, I already met with just the, um, well, I would say five, but, uh, Alan John actually had surgery. So he told us he was going to be off for a two-week period. So the four council chiefs being uh, Jessica Lazar, Ryan Montour, uh, Barton Goodleaf, 
and Arnold Boyer, myself and Sam met yesterday for the whole morning. And I, I just wanted to get to know them. It was more like a team building exercise for people to talk about like what has been their work experience in the last couple of years. What do they hope to bring to the council table? What did they hear when they were doing uh, campaigning out in the community? Like what the concerns of the community are and where they would like to focus their attention as portfolio distribution starts to roll around. So I thought it was a really good exercise to to hear from them. And then I jotted down some notes and said, well, based on what you heard, this is what I think. And, you know, hopefully here's the 16 portfolio wheel structure that we have. Each and every one of you is going to be a lead on one of them. So I would like for you to start thinking where you see yourself within, you know, the, the structure and wanting to bring that work forth. So it was a pretty good dialogue. And, and I mean, I guess it's been quite a whirlwind since, uh, Early Sunday morning and then going going from there, I mean, uh, I've seen you getting a photo shoot on Sunday morning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think all the major news outlets in Montreal and, and across Canada have been uh, featuring articles and, and videos with you. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, like you said, a whirlwind. It's like every day I'm getting requests and, uh, you know, up at the break of dawn, <laughs> having to go on CTV National and Global, but... You know, I think it's important that they're recognizing that history was made, you know, first woman, first LGBTQ2S person in, you know, this role that's out. And, you know, the Mohawks have always been known to be very progressive in their politics and in different things and our stances on, you know, rights issues or fighting for land, land defenders, et cetera. So in terms of, you know, uh, the evolution of women in politics, I think this was a long time coming now for her to be a woman grand chief. Uh, we all know traditionally what the roles of women have been when it came to, you know, protectors of the land and ensuring preservation of our, our culture, our clan passed down to our children and, and strong identity and all of that. So I think it was just a, a natural evolution and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the challenge and because I've heard time and time again, you know, I have my foot in the ship and foot in the canoe, metaphorically speaking, and hoping to uh, bridge the gap a little bit, you know, and having people see uh, what the MCK really does for the community that, you know, this kind of facade or uh, mantra that people have, oh, you're arm of federal government, you're doing their bidding, you're a sellout, you do this, you do that. But ultimately, if they were really to come and do a tour and see the way the people work for the community, that we're always pushing for our rights to be recognized, our jurisdiction, like the days of the Indian age and are long gone, you know, uh, the system is still here, elected system, but ultimately we're all community members. We're born here, grew up here. You know, we have the same common goals, values, interests as everybody else. It's just a different means of getting there. Now you're you're at work as the Grand Chief as a Honda Ia Day, and there's, there's a big issue that's coming to... It's coming back to the forefront again. I mean, it's been there for 300 plus years. There's a residential development going on in Chattagita, which which is on lands that are bordering the community and bordering land that's been returned. How, I guess, uh, is it that uh, you guys as the MCK are going are gonna to look to handle this? So we had put out a press release yesterday and the title of it was Not One More Inch. We know that's been a longstanding principle of this community that when you look around, we've had every kind of land expropriation that could have happened to us, a seaway, a bridge, train, hydro, we all know the reality, what 
exists in our community. So the fact that we've been petitioning the federal and provincial government to sit down with us to have lands returned to this community now since 2003 with the um, confirmation of the grievance of the Senior Sault St. Louis. So 18 years and really no firm progress. And it's kind of been stagnant now for the last five years and no real political will to move it. So we made sure that, um, like yesterday, I, I went to see the people who were sitting there at the... Um, um, Land occupation. Occupation, exactly. Good word. And handed uh, the secretary of 207 Longhouse all of the letters that we've sent, not only to the mayor of Chattagee, but to the minister of Indigenous Affairs for Canada, Carolyn Bennett, even to the prime minister. And then on the Quebec side to Premier Legault, Ian Lafreniere saying... This is a priority. Can we please try to resolve this and show the community that there's some movement, some political will to try to sit down with us to resolve this because it makes sense. The land right now is not developed. It's not occupied. It's a proposed project. And we know there's that 211 outstanding acres from the Highway 30 lands that it's already contiguous to land that was returned to the community with parcel E. Why not buy it? or somehow have it returned to Kahnawake. So that's what we're pushing for. And unfortunately, like I said, all these letters kind of went unanswered or not really shown any kind of political will. So what happens is the people end up saying enough is enough. We're, we're going to take a stand and we fully support that. Like when it's a grassroots initiative or it's the longhouse, people of the longhouse take a position, we're, we let them know that we're fully supporting them. I mean, I think it's probably even more frustrating because since the Liberal government was elected in 2015, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has said, "No, there's no relationship more important to me than Canada's relationship with, with Indigenous people. And I think, you know, we're seeing that, that that's not really the case, right? Well, I have to say in the last couple of days, I've seen some very interesting things coming out of the federal government such as the appointment of an Indigenous Governor General and then the unprecedented agreement with the Cowessin First Nation in Saskatchewan of them taking over their, um, child, I don't want to say child, child protection, well, child, welfare. child welfare services, yeah. exactly. So maybe the time is now. I mean, we just went through an experience last year with the train blockade and how we were able to show the whole of Canada or Tur Turtle Island, what could happen when, you know, indigenous rights or land issues are kind of brushed off and, you know, we're not uh, accommodated through the um, requirement for them to uh, duty to consult. So I think uh, actions like this that tend to be deemed as, you know, like a protest or it's drastic. Well, if you would just negotiate in good faith and show us that you're willing to make things happen, you know, community won't get all upset and feel that this is the only other alternative is to take a stand and do something, you know? So put their money where their mouth is. Like you said, no, if no relationship is more important and you, we want to see progress, we want to see reconciliation, you know, all these key words that have been thrown around in the last and we'll call it in the Trudeau era. Well, then let's see the action behind the words. It's it's overdue. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, especially you know, I think all eyes are on are on Trudeau's government right now, 
you know, since the the discovery of the unmarked graves, uh, starting in Kamloops, and then, uh, you know, you, you know, going across the country, and and, and there's more than fifteen hundred unmarked graves that have been uncovered and and, and rediscovered. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people are like, well, you know, what are you going to do? That you know, reconciliation is more than just a buzzword, and then you know, we need some concrete actions from the federal government because ultimately. It's the federal government that was responsible for these schools. Yep. Yep. So I've heard that time and time again from people. They said it seems to them that Canada is in all time low in terms of the spotlight and, you know, everything that has come to light of our history, of our experience as Indigenous people in this country, the attempted genocide, assimilation, oppression, continued systemic racism. Like when is our our time to rise up and say enough is enough? And I felt, I started to feel it and it's, it's, it's a progression, right? I don't know if it started from 1990. I don't know if it was maybe before that in the seventies, but there's definitely things happening in indigenous country that we can ignore. And if it's like an indigenous resurgence or, you know, things are happening around the world, but we have to do something. You know, we grew up in 1990 and after and seeing how, how we as a community acted and, and, and supported our, our, our sister community in Ganesadaga. And, you know, there, there's been a change in mentality and people returning to, to traditions, returning to language. And there's been this groundswell and these, these actions that have been done throughout the years. Uh, but now I think in, 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 especially over the last six weeks or so, when, whenever we're doing things, it seems that the non, non-native population is seeing it and is understanding and is supportive, which is, has almost never happened in exactly. the past. Exactly. It's definitely a new age. I'm sure the internet and social media also plays a part because everybody is seeing what's unfolding, not just here in Canada, but even across the world, right? And it's nice to see non-Indigenous supporters like actually realizing now what Indigenous people have been through in this country. And when we had the rolling blockade there on uh, last Thursday, um, like cancel Canada Day kind of thing. But, but to see the people who were passing and who were beeping their horns or who were raising their fists to us in support and solidarity, as well as the comments that were all over social media. And, you know, it's not everybody that views us and wants to um, paint us with a brush of, you know, oh, well, they're lazy and they're, you know, welfare collectors that they have all this, uh, you know, alcoholism and drug addictions. Well, can you blame anybody if that's the reality on reserve when you know now what was done to our people, like children taken from their families and experiencing all these horrible things, atrocities, and some of them never coming home And how do you think that made parents feel, you know, not knowing whatever happened to their child? There was never any answers or anything. Closure, closure, exactly. So I think they're really putting themselves perhaps in our shoes and really thinking about what what happened, what was done is just it's unacceptable, it's unforgivable. And so now, like you said, in terms of that spirit of reconciliation, like what is the federal government gonna do? to reconcile. I don't think apologies or any amount of money is ever going to really help us to get over it. It's really has to be actions now, 
returning of lands and really allowing us to exercise governance the way we want to and stop interfering in our affairs and legislating over us and continuing to have that kind of superiority mentality that we don't know what's best for us, like as if we're children that don't know what we're doing. Those days are over. Yeah, I mean, one of the big one of their big announcements after after all this started when they said, "Okay, well, we're going to have something that's concrete. We're going to do some concrete actions." And the first thing that they announced was uh, allowing indigenous people to use their indigenous names on passports. I mean, it was like, really? Oh my god! And you know, we always talk to from our cultural standpoint is that those names, when you, if you're given it in Ganesesne and it means something, you don't put those names which belong in the canoe in the ship and on the cards and on the passports. Like I know, like even for myself, cause I never really used my Jarhasa English name. That's all I use is Gusanahwe. So it is on all of my documents, but I was never named officially in the longhouse, but it still bothers me that, you know, that's the names that are on all of these external documents. So it's difficult, you know, in terms of us balancing and meandering through, like I said, all these different things that are a means to an end, whether it's driver's license, Medicare card, passports, you know, it's, yeah. it's what we have to do. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll switch gears a little bit here now. Uh, we've got a new council. Uh, we're talking about, you know, a, a lot of different, a lot of changeover. And I mean, I think the biggest change is that you're, you're now grand chief and I mean, we've been without a, without a grand chief since uh, since Joe passed away last year. Uh, so how how are you going to be taking the job and conducting the job at the position of grand chief? What kind of changes can can the community expect? So obviously, my whole platform was wanting to see changes, wanting to empower people to be a part of that change because we as the council can't do it alone coming at it from a cultural standpoint, because that's what I know, you know, in terms of going through, just like yourself, the whole experience, immersion school, having all that culture. When I came back from Florida, like I made a commitment that, you know, my wife and my kids, we were going to go back to Longhouse and practicing ceremonies, to graduating the five-year language and culture training program at the MCK. So everything that I've learned, you know, whether it was roles and responsibilities, um, creation story, great law, and the way we conduct business and the way that we know ourselves is what it means to be and and how we deal with the outside all comes from that mindset now, because that's who I am. So what I told the council is from now on, every time we meet as a council, going to open, we're going to close and everybody's going to learn it. Whenever we meet with external governments, be it provincial, federal, you make sure you wear your traditional clothing so that they know that we're still distinct, that that assimilation process that they tried to, you know, I guess basically eradicate, you know, the the mindset and thinking that they weren't successful, that we're still here, we still have this, that we still can speak our language. You know, when we meet with them, stuff like that, decision-making, you know, we've already kind of moved away from voting. We've been trying to do consensus building now for the last couple of years. The whole governance project uh, in phase two was about asking the community, well, 
What do you see needs to be the criteria of somebody to hold office? How do they conduct themselves? All of that. So we definitely heard a lot in this whole campaign about accountability, transparency. We need to see more of that. I'm completely changing the format of the way community meetings has gone with that, you know, the 12 of us sitting at the front and very adversarial with the community. We're going to sit in a circle. I talked about maybe community clan meetings. I have so many ideas, Greg. It's it's all going to be a work in progress little by little, but what I'm very motivated by is the fact that all of the council, each and every one of them are feeling some kind of energy and a vibe right now about everything we just went through and how we're going to work for the community and with the community together. You know, I even told them, I said, make sure you, you get over there to the land occupation, sit there with the people, hear from them. You know, let's show them we're in this together and we want a unified approach. You know, and that's one of the issues that's facing the community, and I'm sure there, there's there's a lot that have been talked about over the last uh, over over the course of the campaign. So, how I guess how does the, the MCK now go about addressing and trying to fix some of these problems, right? And where do we go from seeing that there's a there's a problem, and okay, and what what's the resolution? How do we get there? Well, I think us having a priority setting session is really important. And right now we're going through a whole orientation process for the new council. And I definitely think it's important for us to hear from the community also, because through the campaign, I did hear people providing solutions, ideas, things that I had never heard about, you know, and they're just everyday community members who are passionate about wanting to see some differences and some changes in this community and the way we do things. So I think having maybe these open forums or think tanks, topic specific, like maybe once we do the portfolio distribution, have an open meeting to say, all right, housing, we're going to discuss housing, people who want to come and address, you know, some of the issues and how you think we could approach it. What's going to be the short-term, mid-term, long-term solution, uh, where like, even if you drive around the village proper, there's some dilapidated and old falling apart properties that if let's say the council was to try to approach these landowners and if they don't respond, I hate to use the dirty word of expropriation, but we can just have these properties sitting here not being utilized. You know, there's, there's people who have mobility issues. I know that was also brought up too on candidates night about the people in this community who maybe don't have access uh, because there there are disabilities that they want to feel that they're a part of this community. And what are we doing to ensure there's inclusion and that they're part of the fabric, part of meetings, you know? So Arnold, I had no idea in terms of, you know, his former background was all about looking at buildings and accessibility. Like even when we talk about, oh, we're going to have a meeting at the green space. Well, did you ever consider you know, if somebody shows up who's who's in a wheelchair and they need to access the restroom or something like that, or if it's on a hill, it's stuff you never even thought about. So I think that's awesome that he brings a whole different perspective that a lot of us don't think of, we take for granted, right? So, and again, that's that's one perspective, and 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 I think that's something that most people just take for granted, right? And so, I mean, and, and you talked about housing and, and that's one, one major issue. And there's a lot of different issues regarding that, right? You know, it's going from the need for affordable housing and, and, and emergency housing in some situations and helping community members be, maybe get an emergency place to stay for a short period of time. There's the, the scandal 
Uh, there's also the asbestos issue, and that's all related, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do we see a resolution to these things? And you know what's awesome also is the fact that we have a new executive director. You know, so when you look at the operational aspect of the Mohawk Council of Ganawaga and the political, but the fact that the community expects there to be accountability and responsibility for everything, right? You know, it's not separate in the minds of the people. So looking forward to having a, a working relationship too with the executive office, the new executive director, Onoratoka Marqui, so that we can, you know, try different approaches, try different things. I know one of the outstanding things right now is getting a housing director and it's been, it's been a challenge. And then the fact that there already was like a a survey with the community to say, well, where are the needs? What do you want to see in the next little while with regard to housing? So we have this, you know, $12 million housing uh, budget that's there, but it's like, we have to be strategic in the execution and what comes first and where's the priority. Like you said, is it the social housing? Is it the elders housing? Is it, you know, students want to start moving out of their parents' homes and being independent. So there, we have to go at it from multiple approaches. And what you mentioned about the scandal, I mean, that's out of the community's hands at this point, the investigation was done. It's in the hands of the prosecutor. So whether or not there's going to be any lawsuit or I don't know what happens next in terms of a legal proceeding, but that's still pending. And, uh, yeah, there's definitely, and housing is just one part of the social, You know, we heard a lot about the drug issue and the fact that that needs to be tackled, the wellness part and that community members want to see some kind of detox or, you know, more wellness programs, men's wellness programs, women's wellness programs, so that people can, you know, if they're suffering from addictions and that they can get the supports right here in the community from a cultural standpoint also, I think was very important. So, yeah, I think. Maybe having, like I said, more community engagement because I I don't think it's only the MCK that's going to solve these issues, right? As a community, you know, we we are all vested. It's it's our families that we're talking about. It's our people. So let's uh, let's pull together and and you know see how it is that we can try different approaches because the old way of doing things obviously hasn't been working because the, the, we're in a we're in a predicament right it's like it kind of got compounded because one thing led to another and of course there's this looming lack of trust and i was talking to uh Barton about economic development because he comes from the business community and he was saying you know uh like the tobacco industry and different things how People want to do a community contribution to some kind of a fund, but they don't want it going to the MCK. I said, well, great. Then, well, why don't we develop some kind of, kind of like the Ganyagahaga Funding Association that was tried by OTT a few years back, but it be private business people and they could uh, elect their own board, community board to distribute the funds. And even the MCK would have to apply to it if there was uh, like a void in funding somewhere that we didn't get for a specific program or political initiative or something, you know? Yeah. That, I mean, that that might be where the Ganawaga Business Association comes into play, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk and, and and there was, I think there was a lot of forward movement with that. And then with with the pandemic and not being able to meet in person, uh, it kind of put a, put brakes on a lot of things, right? And then that also, the way we've been living for the last 16 months mm-hmm. ha- has, has really exacerbated a lot of these problems right and put a magnifying glass on it because 
you know, we're, we're sitting here, we're not, everybody's sitting in their own homes and not being able to go to work or not being able to socialize the way they're used to it. And, and now they're, they're looking at things and, you know, and then lost in their own thoughts and, and different things. And then that manifests in different ways where, whether it's, you know, substance abuse or if it's wanting to take action on different things and then then you know like d- depending on the person it you know they, they'll go in a different direction and and, and want to try to do different things right and then yeah. you know it, it, it creates this 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 environment where everybody wants to do something but feels like they can't yeah or they don't know where to turn to or who is the appropriate person or the appropriate body but i think the more that we all start having dialogue together and, oh, well, this is, I know this person or this person does this. Because a lot of what was said, even within the campaign, like, I was like, oh my God, KSCS already does these kind of things or they're already developing a plan for elders housing or, you know, like, so we know that there are people already within the, the organizations that have strategic plans and things that are in the works but like you said, the community member now who feels empowered and wants to get off the sidelines and wants to be a part of the change, whatever their idea is, because I, I've had people with so many ideas that I think are phenomenal and things that we haven't been doing in this community. And it's just like they feel energized and recharged and ready to, you know, like get their hands dirty, but they don't know where to go. And I think we could help direct them and show them and find the resources for all of the things that we want to accomplish. And I think that's what it starts with is building relationships, building trust, seeing each other as, as, you know, brothers and sisters or with partners. And uh, we talked about that private public partnerships, like the possibilities are endless once we start to, and that's the key word, when we trust each other and we're, we're doing it for the benefit of the people and our, our community the sky's the limit. We could, we could accomplish so much. And I think that's what the youth are telling us. They're tired of the political division or the religious division or the this or the that. Like it's, it's like a dysfunctional family is what they're seeing. And they're saying, can we, can we, can we do better? Can we see a different future and a different reality? You know, like we're tired of this and we don't understand why it is the way it is. Like, and I think it's time. We are what we've been waiting for. No one else is going to come in this community and save us. It's up to us as individuals, as families, as a community, as a nation to say that we're not going to be this oppressed people and that we're not going to, you know, yeah, it's horrible what happened to Ungwehunwe people across this country, but are we going to sit there and pout about it and complain and say, oh, we're so poor? Are we going to say, nope? We're still here. We have the ability to learn our language. We have the ability to, you know, strengthen our collective identity. We have the ability to do all of these positive things. We have so many resources. Like I swear this community, we don't realize how good we have it. If we were to go to a remote community in the North where they don't have anything, like we realize how spoiled we are and that we can do anything we want as, you know, uh, a growing up teenager, we could dream as big as we want. We can get any kind of education or if it's language and culture that's passionate and we want to be a teacher or, you know, a chief in the longhouse, whatever possibilities are there and we just have to channel it and make it happen. All right. Any, any final words? Uh, just want to thank the community again. I know it was, uh, 
very interesting election, a historical election. Just want to say Nyawakoa for, you know, the people who, you know, really took the time to come and speak to me and and ask me and and get to know me, I guess, even on a on a personal level, because, you know, it's it's one thing to see uh, a candidate and, you know, out there. On, but the people that know me know that I'm, I'm motivated. I'm in terms of, you know, the kind of person I am, that I've always been involved in sports, that I'm a team player, that I'm a I'm a motivator. It's just, I feel like I was meant to do this kind of work and um, just nyawa for the people that, you know, had the the trust, I guess, in in myself to take on this role on behalf of the community. And I'll do my best to make you proud and do what I can to make Ganawage a great place for our future. Okay, nyawa All right, nyawa go. would like to thank the Community Media Strategic Support Fund for supporting this initiative. 